BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. All right, guys. Welcome to Knife Talk. This is a podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, DIYers. You know the rest. This is the emergency broadcast episode because Craig, Chop Knives, and Mareko of Mamasi Fire Arts aren't here. And part of it's technical issues, but the show must go on. But if you were to have a guest to come in to fill in and do an amazing job, one of my favorite people to talk to, you call up Ben Snoor. Ben, how are you? I am wonderful. You know what? You are wonderful. I tell you what, when anytime I have a problem, anytime I have a problem and I call you up, you're like, I'm on it. No problem. I got you. I love it. It just goes to show how little I have actually going on in my life. I find that very hard to believe. I find that very, very hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, that's I, not true. Yeah, it's not true at all. It's not true no. at all. What have you been up to? I, man, I've been just busier than a one-armed monkey with two peckers. <laughs> yeah, baby! I, That's a good one. around the ranch, we're finally getting rain, building hammers, just all of it. Wow. I saw those giant, uh, those sledges you were making. Yeah. Those things are huge. Yeah, 12 pounds, four of them, and I'm, I am happy to have those done and out the door. Are with those custom orders, or are you just... No, that, that was for well shot. People want them occasionally. So you make uh, forging hammers for Wellshod. That's well sh- well under well underscore shod dot com. Well dash shod dot com. I tell you what, the story of you and Wellshod is so interesting because they really you really kind of started learning how to forge with them, and then I now did. that you tell the tell that whole story, how did you meet up with Wellshod? All right, so I'll give it just a quick rundown of my forging history. Is I I initially was out here on this ranch and I was shooing horse, you know, the horses here. And I kind of decided I wanted to learn how to blacksmith because I wanted to build some, some cowboy gear, bits and spurs, some stirrups, things like that. And I bought a, a shitty 125 pound Peter Wright anvil that was just absolutely beat to shit and just huge chunks out of the edges. I built a little coal forge. I couldn't get it lit. Whenever I could get it lit, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't make tongs. I couldn't draw a taper. I couldn't do shit. So I quit after about a month and a half of trying. I just decided that this, this, it can't be done. It's impossible. Right. So a couple of years go by and I, I go to, I 
going into Wellshaw to just buy some horseshoes, and the guy there asked, you know, do you forge? And I was like, no, I don't. I mean, and I, I told him that I've tried, and it's it's impossible. Can't be done by anyone. And he's like, well, we, we just started this open shop night. You ought to stop by. And so I went in there, and the guy's there, and his name's Burr Vandewart, and he's just the nicest, handiest dude, and he's such an excellent teacher. And the first thing he says was, here's a horseshoe. Make this straight. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. Maybe maybe I can do this. And he had to ha- help me, like, even to just straighten a horseshoe. So I get it straight. Now, you know, it's, it is it is straight. Like, I worked at it hard. It is right. nice and flat and straight. And he's like, all right, good job. Now turn it into a circle. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. It was already <laughs> just nearly a circle. <laughs> so he helps me, kind of gives me some pointers. I turn it into a circle. And then he says, uh do you want to forge weld it together? And I'm like, fuck yeah. I mean, shit. Yeah. That is black magic. I, yeah. I would, I want to, I want to know this. And so we forge weld it. And then after that, uh, it was just kind of off to the races to forging. I mean, I was completely hooked after that. So at, when did you make the transition between that forging night to starting to make your own hammers because i mean at this point the hammer maker game is like in the united states you have your names and like i feel as though in terms of hammer makers you are you're in there you're in there with all the best of them i i i try to be i hope so you are Uh, so i want to know how you got there you know instagram is how i got there and it wasn't just all that long like i jumped into forging with both feet and I was, I started, I got on Instagram and I was kind of looking around at what other people were doing. And I saw some guys building hammers and I thought, well, maybe I can do that. I'm going to have to build some, build some stuff. And so I built a little guillotine tool. And at the time I was running a bunch of yearlings out here and I had another kid, uh, help me, you know, ride through them every day. And yeah. so we'd get done. Didn't really have anything to do other than drink beer. And so I, I decided, you know it's time for you to swing a sledgehammer for me and we're going to build a couple of hammers. And so we did it with a guillotine tool and, you know, kind of of a half-ass drift, drift that I built out of a pickup axle. The hammers were made out of steel from a, a disc plow axle. <laughs> and then, it, I mean, it kind of worked out good. And so I went into Wellshot and I showed them and they, they liked them pretty good. And at that point, I was kind of selling a couple of them, but mainly just so I could buy other people's hammers. Right. I mean, that was the whole goal was I'm going to sell this stuff so I can buy tools from other people who are good and that I respect. And so I talked to John, one of the owners of Wellshot, and he said, you know, yeah, we'll sell them, sell your hammers. But the thing is, is on a website, you've only got one picture. They're not going to take a picture of every hammer that comes in. They've got right. one picture, and so I've got to be really consistent. So when people see that picture and they get a hammer, it's at least close enough that they can say, "Yes, this, I, you know, you're getting right. what I what they ordered." So That's I worked actually, on getting consistency, and yeah, here we are. That's actually a very, you know, it's a, it's he gave you this great you know, um, game plan and a, basically this very specific rule, but it must've made you better. Cause I know, you know what? I wanted to kill you for saying, well, I just got on Instagram. Instagram didn't make you make, learn how to make those hammers. 
I mean, how are you figuring out how to forge it so it's square? And you know, the 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 drift hole is on the money, and it's 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 a lot of a lot of learning to, in order to get to the point where your hammers. And I have a couple of your hammers, and they're they're beautiful. Uh, you know, some of it was just kind of trial and error, but I mean, I really did kind of just learn it from looking at what other people were doing. Huh. I mean, I, 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 I wish I would have had the ability and the money to take a class. I would have gotten to where I'm at sooner, but at the same time, there's, there's no substitution for learning by trial and error and learning by making mistakes. But then I mean, improving on those mistakes. Yeah. It's like it's like how do you deal with those mistakes and then make sure they don't happen again and some of them still happen yeah. and it just it happens and they're you know mistakes do happen you can't you can't hit it out of the park every time i remember try. i remember a number of years ago you sent me a message saying you were feeling um worn out from hammer so something was going on with you and you said, I don't know if it's either I'm just not doing it right or something's going on. You had this like it was like this real moment where you had this hard time. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that's that has been a little bit, but there came a stretch of time and I don't know what happened. But for about two months, all I could do was make mistakes. I couldn't huh. like I didn't finish one hammer in that time. Every single time I tried. I messed it up. And so I basically just decided, all right, I've got to, I've got to do some other things, get, get like a win under my belt, get that blue single to get me out of the batting slump. That's right. And so I think I forged a bottle opener and just, I can forge this bottle opener and it's going to work and I got to get a win under my belt. And then after that, I, did, I went back to forging hammers, but I did it really slow. Like it took, I took all day and made one hammer. And it's one of my favorite hammers I've ever made because I finally got it done. Do you think and that I, this, go, go ahead, ahead, sorry. I was going to say that when you said, when you made the baseball references, it sounded like you had a case of the yips. I, I yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't know what, what was going on, but I, I just couldn't do it. Everything I tried got messed up, and it got messed up to a point to where I couldn't fix it. Right. And it was that, wildly frustrating. That's got to be frustrating. That's one of the best things about forging and the worst things about forging. That it's hard to go back. Like, it's hard to go backwards, especially, and I've made a couple hammers, and there's only one of them I actually like. I, all the rest of them I just... I work hard on. Them. I think they look good, and I really I feel good about them. And I get them done, and then I'm just like, after they're hung, and I look at them like, fucking thing sucks. Oh, and I, I and like I, your hammers. I hate my hammers, and I and to the point where I was there was one point where I had thought, you know, if I liked hammer making enough, that I would do this special where I would offer a knife, and then I would forge the knife with. I'd make the hammer, and then forge the knife with the hammer and tongs, and then sell the whole set. And I was just like, what the fuck am I doing, dude? And I got to the point where I... Because the problem is, was my original idea was because I met Fred Chris, who's an incredible blacksmith, and he was making his own tools. He was making... The first guy I ever met who was... You know, this is like 15 years ago. He was making his own hammers, making his own tongs. I was just like, I don't want to do that. So it was like very much along the lines of that's what I want to do. And it just, it never worked for me. But at the same time, if had that moment where things aren't going right 
And then I, and I totally remember you sending me a message just being like, I cannot get it right. I can't get it right. I can't. Yeah. And, and it pushed you away from it for a while. Yep. That's tough. Oh, I, I was really mad at it. I mean, just frustrated as I could be. And I, I had all this time and, and, and money invested in all the tooling and equipment and all that. And even though I had it with all the stuff I built, I could not do it. Ugh. And it, I mean, it happens. It's like forging a knife. Sometimes you make that, that one hammer blow that is just wrong. And it may not necessarily be ruined, but you can't take that hammer blow back. For me, now, that hammer now you're making a smaller knife or you're grinding it thinner or, or whatever. For me, that, that move is always, you, you're forging the heel too much and then you're pulling that back heel too thin. Yep. And then when you grind it, there's like nothing there. Or like you're grinding it and everything's level, but you got those little dips in that back heel right at the edge. And you're just like, I fucking went too far, man. I know I went too far. And then or you do that. Damascus and you get it too thin and you think you have enough material. But once you grind it and you etch it and you're like, well, there's decarb. Yeah. And I've got no room to grind anything else off of this. Oh. Yeah, that that's the decarb thing is is the worst because like, oh, it's it's horrible. I, I honestly believe I think that that's one of the reasons why I hate Damascus so much. I just don't want to. I just don't want to commit the time and energy to fucking screwing it all up at the very very end. I feel like that's. I feel like I'm trying to cut that out. Well, and that's the whole Damascus process. Period. I mean, like, say you're you're either gonna. Put, make it into a loaf that you can then forge into a knife or you're going to tile it, tile it, tiling, just any tiling. You've done all this work into this billet and everything has gone well and everything's relatively simple and the most technical, complicated weld is at the very end after you've got all the time and effort into it. And it, when it doesn't work out, it is just devastating. The first Damascus I've ever made, and actually almost the last one ever made, was I took a class at the Center for Metal Arts years ago, and Aaron Wilburn was doing a Damascus class. And I thought, I've never done this before. Why don't I do it? We spent all day, all day, probably two days making this bar. And then stacking and grinding and stacking and welding and grinding and twisting and doing all this bullshit. And I got it back to the shop. And I finally decided to make a knife with it. And then I ground it and ground it and made it and heat treated it and looked so fine. It was fine. And then I etched it, and all of a sudden I was like, look at that. What is that over there? Ah, delamination. Oh, oh, all this time and energy and money. And there's this little bit of delam in the back, and it was right in the middle. You can't grind it off. I mean, it's just like, this is too much stress for me. Oh, it's gut-wrenching. Well, while we keep going, I also have to thank our sponsors. And speaking of having a good day, let's shout out Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. If you want to go check out your next heat treat oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. And I have got to congratulate and congratulate, congratulate. As we speak, this is Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon-ish. Our boy Spence and Samantha are getting married. They're getting married today. Spence over at Even Heat is the man. If When you have any questions, you have any things... He's the guy to go to. We're sending our fondest wishes to Samantha and Spence. Congratulations on your marriage. Everyone go send Spence a message. He, he's the man. The whole family's great. They're all having a good time today at that wedding. And I hope you, I wish you nothing but the best. So God bless you. And then while we're at it, let's just talk about uh, combat abrasives. 
You get 15% off of CombatAbrasives.com if you use the promo code KNIFETALK15. I love using their abrasives, and they're also, uh, you can get Combat Abrasives from Maritime Knife Supply, another, another supplier of ours. Um, I highly suggest if you're doing any kind of buffing or any kind of Kydex work, they have specific um, they have specific wheels for Kydex and specific compounds for Kydex. And Andreas Kalani did a video on buffing Kydex with uh, the spe- specific. I think it's like a yellow. It's a yellow wheel, and it's a purple compound. Go get yourself some of that over at Combat Abrasives and use promo code Knife Talk fifteen. So there you go. Let's knock two out of there. Not bad, Craig. Don't worry about that. Um, I you know it's interesting because. Yeah, I think for you, especially, I love. I, I don't. I just don't know how you have time for in the shop because, besides film, fulfilling your orders for for well shot, you always do all these great projects. You're always doing a knife or so, or doing another project. How do you have time for all this and raise a family? I don't sleep very much. Mm. I right. do a lot of my stuff at night. I've gotten to where I have to wake up earlier to try to have time for everything. Yeah. And yeah, I, I do majority of my forging at night, which is not ideal. But I try, you know, I try to do my work around the ranch and then we eat dinner as a family every night. And then at, you know, two to three nights a week after they go to the kids go to bed, I go to the shop and try to get orders done. Wow. So how many orders do you have going on right now? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, 35, 40 maybe. Uh, are these all going to well shot or they're custom? Uh, majority of them are going to well shot. Nice. That's good. I, wow. I kind of try. I've, I've been trying to not take orders myself lately because it's it's just a whole lot easier whenever well shot orders and it's a batch and I can do kind of production work and get them all done, you know, seven, eight, two pound hammers all at one time instead of having to swap tooling and doing different things for other right. hammers. Right, right. And I, I it, it's funny, I, I built a lot of stuff in my life and for the most part, every time I got done, it's like, all right, I'm never doing this again. I have done it. I can say I've done it. I'm not doing this again. And I don't know what changed with hammers that I can keep doing them. You know what? I think it's the satisfaction of of being able to be repeatable. There is a lot of satisfaction in that, in being consistent. Yeah, it's nice. It's a good feeling. It does feel good. One thing that we've been doing since January is we cleared all, all of our custom orders. We're still getting in here and there, but we're doing 10 knives a week, putting them on the website. And it's been this really awesome uh, exercise in you know, thinking about every day and I have David four days a week and, and how do I make sure that he's busy? And then how do I make sure that we're taking photographs by Friday to send to Allison to put them on the website? And I got to, when do I write the newsletter and where am I going to get the goddamn quote? And where am I? So it's, it is fun. Like this particular week has probably been one of the harder weeks, but it got us to the point where I started to, we started to work on next week's orders, next week's knives on Thursday and Friday, we're actually ahead of where I think we should be for next week. So it's this really great, I mean, sometimes it's the same thing over and over again, but at the same time, it really feels good that you can discipline yourself to kind of accomplish the task ahead 
And that is far more exciting. And the funny thing about the maker community is there's so many of these guys who are just like, if it's boring, I don't want to do it. And that it sounds like it, but it's like, you don't, you, I think there's a lot of youth not on the side of these entrepreneurial people. I think that they're not understanding that that's the, the efficiency, you know? Well, some people must not like money enough. No, that, well, that's the thing. That's I mean, a big thing. Some people, yeah. you know, I like to make, and it's like you doing those Damascus knives recently. Some one-offs are good, and I like to do that, and it keeps you kind of excited to do other things. But a two-pound hammer pays the bills. And so I will keep making two-pound hammers because I like the bills to be paid. I, I get I get messages. I get stuff. For, I get a lot of, I have a, you know, you know on Full Blast, I do, uh, I have a sponsorship with uh, Baker Forge. Yeah. I, and I use the Baker Forge steel, and when I put a knife up, it sells. And then I get a message from the office, better make another one. And it's just like, okay, you know, and so now we're constantly trying to have something Damascus or something. And I get my Damascus from Bob Rankin, never lets me down. If you want to get good Damascus and you want to just, you know, you don't want to have to fool. I have been buying steel from Bob Rankin for years and it's like bulletproof, (laughs) easy to use stuff. And it's, you know, I don't pretend like I'm making it, but at the same time, it's like, you know, bills need to be paid. And it's it's nice to get a big bump when you're not expecting it. So, you uh, know. Speaking of not being let down and paying bills, congratulations on your anniversary. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I, that's very kind of you to say. Yeah, I was. I spent my, most of my anniversary fooling around on this on the podcast that hopefully will be coming out next week. It was a great episode with me and Mareko. And then I was on... I was on my our man uh, Keith Johnson's podcast, Shop Sounds, and he had technical issues here. Let me tell you about technical issues in podcasts. I'm on this Discord group. I don't know why I'm on this Discord in this Discord group, but I'm doing it just because I figure like, why don't you be nice? Why don't you be nice? And it's all these different podcasters, and there and there are these parts where you can say, show us your shop and show us where you record, and everyone's got this nicely lit thing and show me your equipment and how many episodes have you done this guy's done 13 this guy's done i only podcast once a month and then you guys and all i can think of is if you i had nothing but i had technical problems on on knife talk yesterday with with uh with Mareko. I had technical problems with Keith Johnson, who's probably pulling his hair out as we speak. And all I can think of is writing on this Discord channel, you motherfucker, you ham and eggers, you, if you don't have pr- technical problems, you're not podcasting. So what I did, with, I did that, and then we got, uh, my wife and I got as a, a uh, we don't really, I don't, we don't do like gifts and make a big production about it. I did get, we did get uh, some outdoor furniture that we're very excited about. So lot Hillary's going looking forward to sitting out in the sun on a, on an outdoor couch. And that's very exciting. And then, um, I got some, uh, I got some stuff. So I got some booze. We're going to drink some booze tonight. So, ah, well, an anniversary, that's always oral sex day, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I got to put that in the, yeah, you're right. You're goddamn right. It is. Well, I'm with you. And with that said, let's thank let's thank one of our sponsors, Broadback Ironworks, makers the two by seventy two grinder. Listen, guys, listen. If you want if you want a good Valentine, you want a good present, you get yourself one of them two by seventy two grinders from uh, Broadback Ironworks. I tell you what, there ain't no better. There ain't no better. And one thing is is um, there's a blade show event going. So if you go to the blade show and you go see the guys over at Broadback Ironworks, go to booth five seventeen. They have special deals. Here's some of the special deals with their packages free belts uh, free belt pack with their wood belts 
uh, free beveling table with each package, the new dual axis tracking system, including each package, free slack belt attachments, free disc sander in- attachments with the mega package. That's a, a, a disc sander attachment, not a, a full a free disc sander. You're not getting a free disc sander. You get an attachment, which is worth it, but don't be asking for the free disc sander. So you get the two, $215 worth of free stuff with the max package, $445 worth of stuff for the mega pack, a premium package, and $590 worth of free stuff with the mega package. So they're going to have some good stuff. Go check out what's going on over at Broadback Ironworks, and um, I appreciate it. So Broadback Ironworks, I'm with you. Now, what we can do is... There are some questions we can just talk. There was one thing I did want to talk to you about, about hammers. Um, We have a lot of hammer questions, but you know what we could do is we could weave that in with uh, some of the questions. Um, If you want to, if you, the listener, saying, I want to ask a question, you go to Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram, and all you have to do is DM us a question. That's the where we ask for all the sorts of questions. That's where we ask for all the, you know, listener feedback, all that stuff. So the first one comes from Johnny Creighton. Johnny Creighton. What's the best set of tongs slash hammer for a beginner? I've been only doing stock removal so far, and I just recently got an anvil set up, and I'm ready to purchase my first set. Thanks, guys. So Johnny Creighton is looking to get into some, I'm assuming he's a knife maker. What do you think for hammers, hammer size, tongs? What's your opinion? A hammer for a knife maker, I would say a two-pound crossbeam. Right is kind of your standard go-to weight. Like, it's heavy enough that you can move material. It's light enough that with a little bit of practice, you should be able to swing that all fucking day. Right. Uh, cross paint, like, I, I personally prefer a rounding hammer for nearly everything, but a cross paint is a bit more versatile. Uh, you know, if you're pulling a heel or, you know, working on a, what is it, a choil? Right. Curved part? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you yeah. can hammer that in with a cross pain. And then tongs. I've probably hung out with farriers too much. I like plain flat bit tongs. Right. I mean, you can you can grab square stock, round stock, flat stock, whatever. I mean, if it's the right size, they're the most versatile tongs out there if you know how to use them right and take the time to learn how to use them. I want to talk to you about the farrier. I had a Matt Stagmer on full blast, and we were talking. We made the we came to the final conclusion that I'm no longer going to make fun of farriers anymore, because I think pound for pound, I don't think anyone stamina swings harder than a farrier. Um, looking at guys like uh, Riley Kirkpatrick and all those other guys, and especially you, I I noticed, and even Jonathan Porter, our friend Jonathan Porter, yep. I noticed that the swing is very unique to farrier work the ha- the handles are longer maybe the head of the hammer is a lot smaller and i feel as though the whole swing is all shoulder and almost like it feels like i could be wrong it could be like a lot slightly locked elbow and wrist not not locked wrist but it's like a it's like a swinging shoulder locked elbow and then like kind of a loose wrist and then I, it's like, i'd say that's that's pretty accurate there's okay. not a you know, whereas a, a lot of like blacksmiths using heavier hammers have got shorter handles and then their shoulders more locked and they're all their swings with their elbow. That's and the Hoffy method. The Hoffy method. And you don't get like much whip out of your, out of your, your wrist. Zero whip. Zero whip. 
So what's interesting is, is like the Hoffy method, the Hoffy hammer, the Hoffy style hammer is a three pound rounding hammer. It's a three pound cross peen, but the face is a square face. And then the peen is very fat and, and it's not very like, it's not very, it's not small. It's like wide. It's wide for moving material, yeah. bigger material. And what's interesting is, is the way they, he wants, he, the way he wants you to swing, but it's not very easy to do is you're actually holding the handle hammer with your finger and your, your finger and your thumb. And you're not really, and you're whipping it. You're, you're letting it, you're letting it pivot off your first finger and your thumb and you're actually whipping it. So your shoulder and your elbow and your wrist all kind of do a, they're all loose and they're whipping. And what you end up with is you don't have to swing as hard. And you're, the whole idea is you're using the rebound of the anvil and then the rebound of the hammer, and you're not actually going over your shoulder. Now, when I see you guys, like, I'm, let's just say, let's just use Riley. Um, he's got that hammer over his head, and you yeah. do too. And you have that long, you have that real long hammer, you have that real long swing, and it's like fast stamina whipping. It's amazing. You know, and it's just styles. It's not like yeah. it, I, any one style is, is better or worse. Well, but I feel like swinging that lighter hammer, like you're generating more speed because it's a whip, longer, whippier handle. Right. But and so you're, you're doing the same amount of, of work, but you got that lighter hand, hammer for, for finer work as well as the heavy hitting. And... When I watch when Riley's swinging, when you, when you guys are all making horseshoes, the first thing I see is, and I'll be, am I wrong that ho uh, a lot of horseshoe starting stock is like three eighths by three quarters or five sixteenths by three quarters? Uh, is the that this main shoes that I have built are three eighths by one? Three eighths by one. Yep. Jesus Christ! Because I when I was doing a tong making class. I was using a starting stock. We were using, I was, we we're doing it by hand, no power hammers or stuff like that. We were using three eighths by three quarters. And I was like, this is a long day at the office for a lot of these guys forging that material down. Yeah. So what's interesting is, is a lot of the work that you guys are doing. And I know when you, when you were saying that you guys hold material with the flat jaw tongs because, you know, you're holding it in different positions. I love watching Constantly you guys. Positions. Upset. I love what you guys are when you're upsetting the middle of the you're upsetting upsetting the middle of the bar mm -hmm. to kind of add up of that material. And it's so it would be the Hoffy method won't work because no. you can't get the fucking because the bar the uh, horseshoe bar. What is it? Is it eight inches, ten inches long? Uh, well, and I, I should correct what I said about the size. Three eighths by th three quarter is a very standard size for building like shoes that are going on a horse. Like right. Riley, I know Riley, he hand makes all the shoes that he puts on horses. Now the three eighths by one sometimes will go on horses, but that's a lot for like these contest shoes. That's got to be this very specific size. Uh, and then I, I'm sorry, I, I got away from myself and I forgot your question. No, I was just saying that like, you because the bar the starting stock bar i'm oh, thinking it's, it's, it's like thir 13 to on the shoes that i i practice on it's 13 inches for a hind shoe and 13 and a half inches for a front shoe so there is really no way of using a press there's no way of upsetting cuz you're what you're doing is you're upsetting the middle why yep. are you upsetting the middle by the way so whenever you you know whenever you bend something like and it doesn't have to be a horseshoe just whenever you bend a piece of metal 
you know, it, it thins it out along that outside edge. Right. It thins, it stretches it. And even if, though, you're compressing that material on the inside, you can't really force that material from the inside to the outside. And right. so you need to have it built up already. So whenever you do bend it and it thins that outside a little bit, once you hammer it flat, it's, it's still three-eighths on the outside. Right. And so that's why why you bump that material. And it also just kind of, if you do, it's it's just so you have extra material there. The toe is also the highest wear point on, on a horseshoe. Huh. And so you want to have just a little, you know, some extra material there. This is like the Forging Brains podcast. It is I like mean, the Forging Brains podcast. They would give you a lot better answer than I would, though. Riley, we got to talk. He listens to this. Riley, we got to talk. I know I said you're going to come on full blast or forging grains, whatever you want. I, I, we got to, I need to, we need to, we need to have a meeting of the minds. I'm totally in for the forging brains podcast. If you want to know more about farriers and stuff like that, go to the forging brains podcast. Riley and the guys do a great job and they get a lot oh, of Oh, it's big, a good one. Like it's a really high end guess. High end guess. I know. High like, end guess. You know, in, in that horseshoe and world, Riley, I mean, he's, he's a rock star in his own right. Gavin is handy as shit. But then they get, you know, some of the just the all-time best horseshoers that have ever been on there. I would say pound for pound, when you're looking at farriers on Instagram forging, I feel they're more competent at the anvil than anybody else. I and agree. I'm just saying that as someone who watches knife makers who've learned on Instagram, and there's some swings that are, like, beyond questionable. There's some stuff. I believe, frankly that most old anvils are fucked up because no one ever learned anything. <laughs> and they're all hitting the corners and they're all hitting the anvils and they're all fucking up their anvils and they're fucking up their faces, their hammers. I honestly believe pound for pound, I'm, I'm, there's, I don't think there's anyone, anyone more efficient than a farrier when it comes to working off an anvil. I will say this about that, and I, I completely agree, but one of the things where farriers excel better than anywhere else is they know how to use the horn. Right. And that's something, like if you see knife makers and you look at their anvils, the horn is rusty. It's right. always rusty. It looks like, you know, it's just never used. Yeah. But once you learn how to use the horn correctly, it opens up a whole lot of possibilities of how to, how to do a lot more stuff more efficiently. You make a good point because the one thing is, is like, especially if you're drawing material, the only reason that you would use a cross peen really is you're drawing material. And I try to explain this to people, drawing material out. I try to explain this to people who don't forge it. And I, it's like, you have a piece of clay and you pinch it with your fingers. You're going to move a little bit more material than if you were to put clay in your whole, in both your palms of your hand and try to squish it. You make yeah. little pinches, but making those pinches, if you have a cross peen, that is the same radius as your horn, you're going to turn it into kind of like a fullering tool of where both sides are hitting the same way. And then you end up getting more efficiency out of each heat because you're, when you're hitting the steel with the cross peen, if it, if as long as it matches your anvil, all of a sudden you're going to get the same impression on the other side. Yeah, I mean, if you're using a flat face or even the round face of a rounding hammer, you're moving material in all directions. And so the cross pane or straight pane is directionally spreading that material in, you know, two directions instead of all directions. And you could, like you said, you can do that over the horn 
and it, it's faster. But you can do the same thing over over the heel as well, or or just off the edge with a cross beam and a radius edge of the anvil. Right. But like making curves, straightening things, uh, opening up curves. You know, because horseshoes, the whole thing is the round. You know, there's there's no basically essentially no straight place on it, and so that's where the horn comes into play of, of shrinking a curve, a, a, a radius, or, or expanding that radius using the horn. And it's just I I don't know. It's everybody's got the anvil horn, and it, it's it's beneficial to know how to use it correctly. What's interesting is is the the if you look at the way modern anvils were made, especially the smaller ones. The smaller ones are always for directed at farm or directed to farmers or who had to move them around or farriers and stuff like that. If you look at stuff, especially like off the off the, just off my off the off the head, you look at uh, off the top of my head. You look at like an NC anvil. That is a farrier's anvil. It's all horned. You know, yeah. and then you look at some of these kind of more Euro anvils, like the ones that you get from the Czech Republic. There's hardly any horn whatsoever. It's like a cone. It's like a cone. It isn't like a horn. And you realize that the way that the anvil was kind of uh, marketed towards, and I could be wrong, but it was definitely marketed more towards an- towards farriers and people who actually used it as opposed to, you know, civilians. And now you're seeing more people who are making anvils for blacksmiths and less for farriers. Yeah, and I, I feel like a Kolswa anvil is kind of the perfect blend. Right. But, you know, a more modern, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure when they stopped making those. But uh, That's a like Swedish Scott anvils right? and, and Austin Edens, they're all kind of based off of a Kolswa anvil. And, and that style, and I think that's a like just a really nice combination of good size face, good size, nice radius horn. That'll that's just more versatile for everybody. Cliff has a Kolsha that's just unbelievable. It's just, I mean, they are amazing. They're oh, amazing. They're great, great. It's a huge anvil, and it's just an awesome anvil. One question I had for you, and I know that you and I have talked in the past about this, is. What what do you think the benefit is between when hammer faces are square versus round? I think it's personal preference, really. Right. I mean, I, I think that's all it really boils down to. Uh, some of it, like you know, round face, I think is more traditional in the in the rounding hammer, right? Versus a lot of older cross pins. Like a German style cross beams, either going to be square or octagonal, right? But I don't know necessarily say that would would think that there's really much benefit one way or the other. I would say, in terms of the most uh, overrated, just like not overrated, the one thing that I think is almost almost doesn't even make any sense is the octagon faced. The octagon face makes no sense to me whatsoever. It makes no sense to me either. Zero, because when I when we do, you know, if you talk to the, well, obviously can't talk to Hoffy now, but when you take his classes, he explained that, you know, the the peen the the cross peen on a Hoffy hammer is very wide, but what's very much more aggressive is if you use the corners of the Hoffy hammer, which is square. Yeah. So if you're if you're hitting at an angle, and I talked to Jake Ferrum too, he said the same thing. I think there's something going on with the the whole uh, Brian Brazil school too. They're all saying that you can use um, 
rounding hammers are great, but if it has a square face, all of a sudden those corners of the square face act as a fuller, you know, act as a cross, as a peen for the, for the ladder. So when I think of those, those rectangular ones, which are, which are known for like sledgehammers and stuff like that, like, I feel like there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of benefit. I wouldn't think so, but also a round face rounding hammer, all farriers use that as a, the same thing as a, as a, uh, the same way as, as your, you know, the Hoffy style of using it as a little, like a small cross beam. Right. Like whenever you're drawing a clip, you're using the edge of that face to draw that clip, using it ah. just like a little tight cross beam. Huh. So even though it's round, you're using it in the same way as a cross beam or the, the square face of a Hoffy hammer. How fast do you think you could forge uh a, and you know, be be conservative. How fast do you think you could forge a, uh, a horseshoe? And I know that's a tough uh, question because I know that there's all this. I, I, different... I can get a couple done in an hour. Wow. Now that's not that. Now that's me, and I'm not good. I've seen guys in the contests, and they have this deal where it's match play, and it's you against one other person, and the top guys will build a bar shoe in like six minutes, five Take minutes. The... With the with the fullering with the fullering the and the thing. square holes no, and everything, and I, that's a bar shoe that's forge welded. So, you know, most of the time you have a horseshoe and it's open at the bottom. We'll say it looks like a little rainbow and it's open at the bottom. That's a piece welded across the bottom as well. Nail holes, all of it. I, I got one of those from Jonathan. Gave me one. Yeah. I know that Jonathan was gonna do, he was gonna do a journeyman. I think he was gonna do the journeyman test years a few years ago. Yeah. And he gave me one of those competition shoes, and it had the clips that were forged down, the drawn down, so it holds on to the sides of the hoof. Yep. They were pretty amazing. Well, like I said, these guys, the, these top guys will will build a shoe like that with a, either, generally it's like one toe clip and then a, a bar shoe in the match play. And it'll, like I said, five minutes. That's insane. It's what, insane. Do they, when they, when they count the five minutes, how do they count the heats because that would be more interesting almost like how many heats does it take to do a fucking horseshoe oh i you know there's videos of it online of, of the match play at one of those wcb world championship blacksmith contests you know i mean it's it's a few heats but they have got those coke forges going as hot as they will go i mean that, it, it's the shoes in there for i don't know 30 seconds and they're coming back out uh but they're just so efficient. They bump a little bit of material into the toe. They bend it. Put the little hockey stick in for the bar shoe. That's a heat. Weld it. Punch the nails. Draw the clip. I mean, it's it's a two three heats max. That's insane. That is insane. Well, it it's is interesting. Insane watching those guys. It's insane. Well, there's a couple interesting things, and if you bring it to knife makers too, is you can you can fire them hot because you're not really worrying. You're not heat treating. You're not heat treating. Uh, oh yeah, shoes. you're not worried about carbon or anything like that, or, or grain growth. And it's and it's and all the horseshoes are made out of mild steel, which is ridiculously easier to use. Oh yeah, and you can you can you can jam those forges and make it go all the way almost to melting. And imagine you're in, in those inch by those inch by three eighths is holding that holding that heat pretty good, especially yeah. if you're not really if it's not sitting flat too long on the face. You know, you probably have a lot more time on that time on each heat than you would think oh definitely oh my god 
But uh, that kind of brings me to the next question. And um, this comes from Natural State Forge. He says, do you have any tips on forge welding mild steel? Flux or no flux? Would a coal forge be the best option? I have very little experience forge welding, uh, uh, but I know you have a lot of experience. So I've got all kinds of experience. Uh, a solid fuel forge is going to be easier. Well... I take that back. Like it's if you have some help or if you can be around one person, see them do it one time, that's all it really takes to kind of look at the colors. Like a, a mild steel is harder to weld than carbon steel. It's gotta be hotter. Uh definitely use flux when you're learning. You know, there's I I think it's in England a lot of the they don't use flux in a Coke forge to forge weld. Huh. I, I would just rather have that safety blanket of being confident that it's going to weld because I'm, I think I've said it before on here or on a full blast that I think 75% of forge welding is confidence. <laughs> That's a good point. And so, yeah, I think the gas forge is fine. You're not going to overheat your material you're not going to get it quite as hot. So whenever you do come out of the forge, your work time is just slightly less than in a solid fuel forge. But yeah, be, you know, use some flux, make sure everything's clean. So what, how does, what is scale, how does scale factor into forge welding? You know, it's kind of funny you asked me that because I have gone back and forth on what scale does in forge welding i think if you're using flux which does a couple of different things it you know keeps out oxygen it draws out impurities and then it also lowers the melting point of the steel somehow i don't know it, that's my understanding of it i could be wrong hmm. but i'm sort of of the impression that flux will somewhat dissolve scale and so, I'm, I, you don't want scale, but if you do have a little bit of scale and you have flux, then you're kind of not going to have to worry about it. So, for flux, using flux for what's your, and I know that there's, there's a lot of different opinions on using Damascus, flux with Damascus. A lot of guys go dry. A lot I of try guys, not to use flux on Damascus. What, is, what will flux do when you're forge welding Damascus? just destroy your forge right. right i mean i've heard of people like you'll get an inclusion you'll get everything welded or use flux you weld around you you hammer around the edges and then you end up with a little pocket an inclusion of flux i think that's a possibility i know people have had that happen but my main deal is it's just nasty in your forge and then after you use flux like you can't ever clean it out and so shit sticks to the floor of your forge and it's just aggravating as hell Ugh, it sounds like a pain in the ass. Oh, it's awful. Uh, I I don't I I have uh, I have a uh, I did a little forge welding in the shop and then one of my burners for my uh, one of my burners went out and I was like I was I noticed I wasn't getting it hot enough and I was like I'm not gonna do this anymore. So I have a bar that I've been I worked I've been working on over like three years and I just gave up I <laughs> gave up and I was like uh, I'll get the I'll get the burner fixed I think Jonathan wants to help me fix it but at the same time I'm just like I got too much to do on it I don't worry about that right now um 
Oh, making Damascus is fun, though. Is it's it, everything that comes after making it that sucks. The one thing I like about it is I have this bar that I started a couple years ago, and then I forge welded it, and then I drew it out, and I liked the end where, like, the lips of everything are kind of, like, squirting out, and you can see the different layers. Yeah. That I like. That I like. But all the other prep in terms of, like, my biggest problem with a power hammer, or I, in my case, a tire hammer, and this is something that I just have this problem with, is I cannot... I And it's I think a lot of it is because I just don't spend enough time uh, forging like I used to. You know, I don't... I believe that, yes, it is like a bicycle, and you you, you know, it's, know what you're doing. But at the same time, there, there's so many little moments where I'm constantly getting a rhombus. I'm constantly not keeping things square to the point where I'm just not, you know, I'm for, I'm drawing something down on a power hammer and then I'm just like, I look at it and I'm just like, the fucking thing's not square at all. At all. You know, but the good thing about Damascus is other than, like, really, the slower you take it, like, in, in compressing everything, take more heat, it's fine, you're not going to lose that much carbon. But if you take it slow, the more evenly, say you're, and this is, I'm talking to uh, Mosaic. Right. But the, the slower you take it, the more evenly it's all going to be compressed, and the more, the better your picture is on the end of that bar. So take it slow, you hadn't got to get everything done in one heat, and then you don't have to worry about getting it rhombus. Hmm. Yeah, I, I have a problem just even drawing something out is like fixing the rhombus to me is like, I actually got to forge um, with uh, Pat Quinn and we were using butchering tools. Oh, this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. I, I'm really amazed that more knife makers are starting to take, uh, looking at um, the way power hammers are using. The, the power hammer concept is so amazing and it's, it's still relatively new and most people get the power hammer and then they learn on the job, learn while it's there. They don't really take classes or maybe they don't really know 100% they yeah. learn on the thing. What I've been noticing lately is a lot of guys like you and Ben Camone have been using these awesome butchering tools. And I actually got to use one with Pat. And the, this was like, I think this might be one of the highlight butchering tools that knife makers can use for power hammer. And it's basically a quarter of a round bar. And it's welded to a stick. So like imagine like a, a like a you know imagine a cylinder and it's cut into four quarters. And then you weld that quarter on and you have... You know, you're hold, the way you're holding it, you're able to kind of forge in um, your heel. And then the rounded part of that quarter is kind of mushing it down, but it's not like making it strange. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. That's I like, don't have one of those. You don't? I thought I could have sworn you had one of those. Nope. Never made one. You should I've, definitely. You know, it's been, it's been on the short list of things to make that I've just never gotten around to doing. You should go check out the UK Blade Show. They did a video where they went over to Ben Camone's place, and they and he forged he forged one of his monolith knives. It's great. He's terrific, and um, it's a really great knives. video. And the way he incises he incises the heel is he uses this quarter. Uh, butchering tool and it's like you'd think that like oh I just could just use a you know a butchering tool but because it has a, that rounded radius the radius kind of 
the straight part of the if you're holding it up so the 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 straight part is uh parallel to where the heel would be the rounded part of the bar is pushing the material down in a very gentle way so you can actually you're not going to get any weird tears or you're not going to get any weird moves where you have to kind of fit it fit it in i think that might be one of the great butchering tools that most power hammer people especially knife makers would really benefit from jeff i've uh gotta take a phone call take your phone call don't worry about right. it take the phone call i'll take care of this just don't do all right give me just a second Take your time, guys. Listen, this is Ben Snore right here. He's got to take a phone call. Don't worry about that. In the meantime, let's talk about a couple of our sponsors. Number one is Maritime Knife Supply. Maritime Knife Supply is your one-stop shop for knife makers. Steels, belts, handles material, tools, forges, kilns, all that and more. They're also the Canadian distributor for combat abrasives. They also sell Rhino Wet and Rhino Stick and all that stuff. So go to MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Put in the promo code nothing there is no promo code so don't worry about that and they also are the distributors of uh damasteel we're talking about damasteel they're distributors of i said combat broadback they're great and if you're in the uh if you're in the uh um canada and you want to you know there's something that they have that you really want give lawrence a message and uh he will get you squared away he, he <laughs> once in a while we'll tell we'll tell you something he has after we've talked about it and he'll say oh, i got that well he maybe don't have it but he'll get it for you so lawrence is really great and he's very involved with the uh the knife making community especially the new england school of metalwork uh which i actually want to send i got a nice message from the new england school of metalwork they listen to the show they are having a um the new england school of metalwork is having the 13th annual new england bladesmith symposium the New England Bladesmith Symposium. It's um, it is on July 14th through the 16th. If you go, you can register online at NewEnglandSchoolMetalwork.com. Jordan Lamote's going to be there. Salem Straub's going to be there. There's going to be leather sheath uh, pro, uh, designs and with Ben Breda. There's going to be Greg Sims is going to be there. Uh, and Matt Parkinson's going to be there. We love the guys over at uh, New England School of Metalwork. A shout out to them, and I uh, just want to say that to them. Everything okay, Ben? Yeah, the wife is out of town. My sister and her husband have got my kids for the time being while I'm doing this, and I called her earlier, and she didn't answer, and she's been trying to get back a hold of me, and she was worried that something had happened. Oh, boy. I bet that happens a lot on the farm. On the uh, it does. I would be concerned, too, if you weren't getting back to me. You know, the funny thing is, is you kind of get used to it because... Our service is just horrible out here. So there, I mean, there's days if I'm out working at a pasture or something, nobody can get a hold of me the entire day. But I try to let people know what I'm doing and where I'm oh, going. Oh God, can you imagine? I can't imagine. I can't even imagine. Well, and the nice thing now though is these newer cell phones have got like an SOS satellite calling deal for emergencies like that. So if something does happen and I'm down in a canyon or something and I got hurt, I can should be should be able to get a call out oh jeez, that's that's something that you know oh i have to even worry about it we just got a late <laughs> entry uh, a, uh question in from speedster stoves he's got a question i'm currently staying in a cottage in northumberland northumberland and the cutting equipment made me think of all the shit knives i've had to put up while staying in staying in self-catering accommodations i guess like airbnbs so right. question is, what has been the worst knife that's been forced upon you in an accommodation, and do you take your own knives? P.S. This place isn't too bad. Western-style chef knives, but the blunter, blunter than a witch's tit, 
and the dreaded glass chopping board. So have you ever been in a situation where you show up and they're, they're, uh, the knives are terrible? No matter what or where I go, if I fly or whatever, I have got a pocket knife with me. Right. I check my luggage so I can take a pocket knife. So no, I've never really dealt with that situation, but I've always got a pocket knife as a backup. I'm going to ask you an ethical question. Be honest. You go to someone's house. They have terrible knives. When you come back again, do you bring your own knives? Are you no, a douchebag? No, I, I, I just, I just uh, defriend them. Like <laughs> Wouldn't that be a douchebag move if you like show up to your friend's house with your own knives to help them prep? That's a bad move, right? It would, but you know, if I we're hanging out, we're in the kitchen, we're we're gonna be one. I don't generally go anywhere to somebody else's place and be like, "All right, I'm cooking." Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good but point. I think if we're just hanging out, you know, while whatever's cooking, I might offer to sharpen one. Ball breaking is definitely necessary. What is this thing? I what feel you- like I I hold my knives to a lot higher standard than everybody else, though, and I can't expect them to hold you know keep their knives at my standard right well they, they most like them don't need as long know. as it kind of cuts they're okay yeah i mean honestly i mean what are you not doing i i just do i do know that some people bring their own knives to people's houses and stuff like that especially if they're helping with like a party or something like that i would be disgusted if somebody did that at my house if they're like I, okay we're yeah i brought my own knives i may have done okay, that when you're i was cooking the entire dinner too when I went to call after culinary school, I was like the hot, I was hot shit. And I probably did for sure bring my own knives with me and a knife roll. And it was such a douchebag thing to say, a douchebag thing to do. Now when I go camping, you bring your own knives, obviously. But if you show up oh, at yeah. someone's house and you're just like, yeah, your knives are going to cut. It. I brought my own. It's like, get the fuck out of my house. So you're not invited anymore. Oh, that's pretentious to say. Yeah. And fuck you, man. This is the sharpest. And then you can break their balls, but you got to, there's like a level of, there's a level of how much as a host you will accept. Like, well, and I feel like, you know, I kind of feel, I, I sort of think it's a point of pride that I know how to sharpen a knife really well. Right. Not everybody else knows. Not everybody. And, you know, maybe it's a machismo thing to think that every man should be able to sharpen a knife. But not every guy can sharpen a knife, and they don't care to. That's the point. I mean, otherwise, there wouldn't be knife sharpening services. Bob Kramer never would have gotten a start. Thank God. Thank God for people not knowing to sharpen their knives. We'd never have Bob Kramer out here. Yeah, he'd he'd still be with the circus. He'd be with the circus. He was a circus clown. That's right. Yeah. What's he like? You met him. You met him. uh, What's he like? Man, I was just, he was, man, he's just cool. Oh, he's just cool. Answer. He's nicer than fuck and really funny, pleasant to talk to. As unassuming, you know, you would never know that he's one of the, you know, biggest knife names in the world. Oh, biggest. Mount Rushmore. And just, just a cool son of a gun. There you go. I got to tell you, speaking of uh, sharpening. Oh, I've got a little bit of a Bob Kramer story, though. With oh, let's that. hear it. So... I'd gone out there to the Travis Ward's hammer in and I was going to be demonstrating some box joint dividers that are forge welded. And I'd had an extra pair that I'd taken out there thinking I was going to sell. And, you know, I kind of had the idea of like, you know, a couple hundred bucks for them. They were pretty nice. And then Bob goes, 
hey, you got any of those? Do you sell any of those? And I was like, yeah. Well, I'd like a pair. And I was like, I got this pair right here. And he's like, well, how much? And I was just so flabbergasted <laughs> and flattered that he would want anything that I made that I just completely lost lost my mind. I was like, $50. Wow. $50. Wow. And immediately the I was like, fuck, what the fuck did I just do? Now he, he thinks they're not worth a shit. $50. Is that what but, he said? Yeah. No, no, I, I sold them to him for $50 because I put a stupid price on them because I was just too starstruck to, to think straight. Dude, the Bob Kramer effect. It, it is the Bob Kramer effect. Damn. I bet that shit happens all the time. Oh, you just take I, them. You just take yeah, them. Yeah, just, just here. Yeah. Here, have your, my kids, too. Your, your wife is really pretty. Take her. <laughs> Fucking take her. <laughs> Bob Kramer effect. <laughs> Fine. What? Uh, what are you talking that's about? Pretty much, uh, that is pretty much. That is exactly what happened. I mean, that was. What's that? Uh, that Woody Harrelson. What the Woody Harrelson movie? The the where he like gives his gives Demi Moore to. Uh, or they, it's like uh, Robert Redford and Robert Redford offers like a million dollars for a night with Demi Moore, and they're like, "Don't worry, it's gonna be okay." And then she like leaves him, leaves Woody Harrelson for fucking. Yeah, I know the movie, Robert, but I can't think of the name. It's like, I don't remember the name of it. Please don't DM, DM us. You guys know what we're talking about. Yeah, we don't tell. care. Yeah, we don't care. The Bob Kramer effect is solid, man. I bet he does that shit all the time. You know, how much I, does you know, Apple? I, I you think he's it. too nice a guy to actually t t really take advantage of people like that. Well, he took advantage of you. I mean, he used the Bob Kramer effect on you pretty good. Well, I was also just stupid. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, yeah. Come I, on, man. My buddy uh, Jack Kraft and, and the dude that struck for me, Weston Newsom, they they have not they will never let me live that down. <laughs> did you what did you say when he took it and you're just what did he what did the first thing you said it was like I can't believe I sold that for fifty bucks? Uh yeah. Well I went and told them that I was like, What the fuck's wrong with me? What the <laughs> fuck am I doing? I love it. I love it. Never go full retard. <laughs> that's awesome. Actually, that's that I'm sure that stuff happens all the time. I'm sure that happens all the time. Um, well, let's get into a couple more things beforehand. Uh, let's talk about Dam of Steel. Dam of Steel is awesome steel. I made a really, I listen, I won the bread knife last year at the Dam of Steel Invitational, whether you like it or not. It's great stuff. If you go to damasteel.se and you use the promo code knife talk, you're going to get 10% off your steel. It's stainless pattern welded Damascus. It's beautiful stuff. There are all sorts of different patterns. There's amazing patterns. There's all sorts of e easy information for heat treating, etching, and finishing. It's definitely worth it. It's don't be intimidated, especially uh, sock removal guys. This is the stuff for you. It's really easy to work with. Um, it's It's got a lot of razzle-dazzle. I personally believe, and I think we've talked about this on the... In the I think the future of, of knife making is going to be forge welded, uh, pattern welded uh, stainless Damascus is going to be the future of knife making i believe that's going to be the case there's just no doubt about it and i know that laren thomas may think the same thing he may or may not who knows but if you go to damasteel.se you can get yourself some of that beautiful stuff and if you follow them on at instagram at damasteelab you're going to get yourself see what they're see what all the fuss is about and then you guys can join us at the damasteel invitational uh, and that's that. So, hey, listen, you know what? We've had a good time. Oh, here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. And we're going to do weird news. What would you tell blacks, uh, knife makers, bladesmiths, 
that they should be focusing on more coming from a farrier background? What do you think not, people not are missing? Not really a farrier background. Well, farrier style. Okay. I mean, your style of forging, I still think, is a farrier style of forging. It is. And you're more of a blacksmith than you are a bladesmith, and you're very proficient. So I feel like maybe you can uh, impart some wisdom to up-and-coming bladesmiths on what they should be, what they're doing wrong. And I'm not talking about the fucking pattern welding. I'm not talking about the... Pla- I, I want to just talk about the forging, the aspect of forging a knife. So I feel like there's a lot of people are missing some things. Don't rush it. Yeah. And I that just kind of goes for everything. And it goes from rushing a, an entire project to heat to heat. Take your time... Learn how to swing a hammer efficiently in whatever style that may be, in like a Hoffy style swinging a hammer or a Ferrier style of swinging a hammer. But get your mechanics down to where it's a repeatable, accurate hammer blow. To where you can you can be precise and then hit where you want to do so you're not having to go back and, and, and hopefully correct things, miss hits. Right. Is that's that's kind of one of the things is just getting your mechanics down that work best for you. I almost feel as though people starting out are using the cross peen too much. Like the cross peen isn't really meant. I mean, obviously, if you're putting it in the in the vise and you're trying to push in the choil area, that's one thing. But you shouldn't be using the choil. You should be using it to move you know, aggressively, the rough, you're roughing in the metal. You're roughing it in with the cross peen. And I almost feel as though people are a little bit, they're using the cross peen too much and they're just not using the face of their of the hammer. And a lot of times I feel as though the faces of their hammers aren't, uh, aren't crowned enough or rounded enough. You yeah. know, the face of your hammer should have a rounding. So the, there's like a pin, there's like a pinnacle of the end of the hammer, the, of the face of the hammer. And you almost have to see the hammer like the way a pebble would hit the water. When the pebble hits the water, the first thing it touches, and then as the water expands around you, creating the ripple, that's really what's happening with steel. And I feel as though people are going a little bit too crazy with the cross peen. That's my thought. I, I, I don't know why. I I just avoid the cross peen as I much as possible. And there's a time and a place for it. But I like a rounding hammer. And I do agree, like, whether you buy one of my hammers, which you wouldn't have to do this on, but any hammer, dress your hammer correctly. Right. The flat face should be slightly crowned. Right. Round over the edges. You don't All want a crisp them. edge there. And, you know, you can, some got, there's some old school farriers that like a crisp edge on the flat face of a hammer. But they're also very experienced and, and can kind of get away with it. But a hammer's got to be dressed. you got to make it your own. Whittle the handle down to what fit, what suits you best. But yeah, the, I don't know. The, the cross paint is, it's got its time and place. But it's just not something that I use much. I would say, in, unless I'm like drawing out like a fishtail... I can't really think of any time I'm using a, a cross the cross peen as much. I don't think I can't think about. It. I can't think that I when I'm forging. Actually, maybe if I'm for, if I'm hand forging down an integral an integral knife, 
where I'm using, you know, inch bar or three quarter bar, and I'm trying to draw the material down, I'll start with the cross peen just to kind of get the ball rolling. Yeah. But I'm really, really trying to use as much of the face as possible. And my hammers are very crowned. Like my, my hammers are very crowned. One of the interesting things I noticed with a lot of people's, uh, the way that they do their rounding hammers is the rounding hammers aren't barely round like some of them are just like you almost can't even tell the flat face versus the cr the crown face and that's the reason why when i've done uh, when i forged my rounding hammer i actually have to make the rounding part an octagon just because when i'm swinging i know what the hell side i'm using yeah there you go I, you know in my my rounding hammers that like the round side is not it's not like a ball peen right not right right I mean, right, right. It, it's it's definitely rounder than the flat side, but how round do you really need it? Otherwise, you are just going to a ball pin. I mean, I think if I think the radius of a tennis ball is probably more than enough. Oh yeah, that's way that's 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 I probably think the more than you need. That I use on mine, I want to say it's a three inch diameter bearing. Okay, okay, it's like a so a little, little bit smaller radius than like a softball. Yeah, softball. Yeah, that's about right. That seems yeah. about right to me. All right, there we go. I think we covered enough. Oh, I want to just say one thing before we get into some weird news. Is there any other blacksmithing thing you want to talk about, or bladesmithing thing, or knife making thing you want to well, talk about? Well, it might be blacksmithing or farrier related, but uh, you go know, ahead. I'm doing a little day drinking because it's Saturday and I need another beer. Do, I'll, let me do this read. Go get yourself a beer. Perfect. Go get yourself a beer. Let's, guys, I want to tell you something special. Knifeprint.com. Have you ever wanted to make your own knives and you wanted to learn about 3D printing? and uh, 3D printing. 3D setup so you can get the, your stuff water jet cut. Knifeprint is for you. No downloading software, no licensing agreements, and it's a great entry point. It's a simple and easy way to design your knives in their software. Uh, it, and then all you do is press the render button, and it's going to render it and show you how you do it. It's going to show you how to do it easily in 3D, and then you can send it off, and you actually use uh, knifeprint.com, and they will actually have it done for you. But here's what's really cool. Our friend, listener of the show, our friend uh, Dennis Tyrell, Tyrell Knifeworks. Dennis Tyrell's great, and he's doing a masterclass video series, and you can follow it, the premiere of their first episode at knifeprint.com. They're going to have a uh, release of the second episode, Setting and Drawing the Basics. So Dennis Tyrell of Tyrell uh, Knifeworks and his YouTube channel, and this episode will take a deep dive into the advanced features of the knife print editor. From advanced design techniques to robust export capabilities, we're covered all in providing practical tips and real-life examples. Uh, as with our first episode, it'll be a live event, giving you the chance to interact, ask questions, engage in insightful instructions. Whether you're a novice or seasoned knife maker, the Masterclass episode aims to deepen your knowledge and expand your creative boundaries. I would highly suggest go, if anything Dennis Terrell says, he's an ABS ma um, journeyman smith, anything he has to say, definitely go listen to it, and he'll show you how to do it. And wouldn't it be nice to figure out how to do work make it nice make your knives nice and then you can send it off to a place like new jersey still baron and say here make this and then pete'll pete'll you know he'll cut them out for you and do whatever so go check out knifeprint.com uh definitely check them out and then last but not least uh if you're using sandpaper 
you guys are doing it wrong. You got to use the Indasa Rhinoet. Uh, that stuff is the best. And if you go to Texas Ferry Supply, you get 10% off your order if you use uh, promo code Knife Talk 10. Uh, the guys over Texas Ferry Supply are doing a great job. They have a lot of awesome stuff besides Rhinoet. Um, knife vices and anvils and hammers and ferry equipment and browning stuff and all the forge, all the stuff we're talking about, they have it over at Texas Ferry Supply, but they also have the Rhinoet. Do me a favor. Go get yourself some 220 Rhino Wet. You won't forget it. You won't regret it. And you won't. You will love it. So go check out Indos USA. Go check out Texas Ferry Supply Knife Talk Ten. All right, I hit all our plugs. I hit all of our plugs. I'm so psyched. All right, so now I, I will say this about that Rhino Wet, and I have never used it. Go ahead. I have never heard across the board more recommendations for one product. I yeah. have never heard anybody say one bad thing that it's not worth it or anything. Every single person that, I mean, from people who are sponsored by it right. and not sponsored by it, everybody says, you've got to try this. And one I, of these days, I will I will do it, but I'm, I'm burnt out on making knives, and so I'm not going to try it for a while. I don't blame. Listen, you got to do whatever it takes. Fine, I understand. I, I, but it's just so resounding of a, an endorsement from the entire community that I believe it. Well, he, there's only one person you need to listen to, and that is Nick Wheeler. If you watch, once again, if you want to learn how to make knives on a video, Nick Wheeler's YouTube videos are the best. He is extraordinary. He is the first person I ever heard of using Rhinoet. And we reached out to Rhinoet after in the beginning of you know, five years ago or something like that. I'm like, we got to get it on this Rhinoet. And we sent, sent him a message and they started sponsoring the show. But it's all because of Nick Wheeler. And we've been, the, if Nick Wheeler says Rhinoet's good, that should be enough. No one, you don't need to say another word because, I mean, it ain't much better than Nick Wheeler. We got to hope, hopefully, we can see a little bit more Nick Wheeler. And then if you look in the archives, Mareko got to interview Nick Wheeler. Um, and that was a good one. Uh, so, this is the Full Blast podcast part where we do weird news. I love talking weird news with Ben because there are things in the world that Ben and I have a specific way of thinking and kind of understanding where these things come from, and I'm very excited about this. This first one is something I've wanted to talk about because I thought, I thought that Craig Lockwood would have an opinion, but I don't think he does. And it and I sent in I sent in a couple of weeks ago. They didn't read this story, and the story is a giant penis was mowed into the lawn at King Charles Coronation Bash site. Did you hear about this? As it should be done. As it should be done. So this is from the New York Post. I mean, you don't get a better rag than New York Post. Cocky pranksters mowed a giant penis into the famous grounds of the Royal Crescent in Bath, England, where a significant coronation party is set to be thrown in two days. This is obviously before the coronation. Residents awoke Thursday in the morning to the morning wood. There, it's all dick jokes. Uh, with the glaring, obviously, penis trimmed into the lush grass overnight. It's unclear if law enforcement is handling the case. Fancy homes... Uh, that date back to the 17th, 18th century form a crescent to the city known, uh, I'm going to send this to you because I need you to see it. I need you oh, to I'm see- looking at it. I just okay. googled coronation penis grass <laughs> and it comes right up. This mother, whoever did this, <laughs> here's the issue. It's a giant penis. 
<laughs> the Georgian themed <laughs> Grand Coronation Party is scheduled for Saturday to honor King Charles III's coronation. Um, this fucking dick is. I'm going to say a this. Big dick. It's huge. It's that's going to be like a fifty yard dick. This is number one. This is what I want to talk about. Number one, how did they do such a good job? Like if you're mowing, like if you look at it, the lines of the shaft are completely parallel. And then I don't understand how he made such a perfectly round head. He crossed over the, he crossed over the, I don't know how this was done by hand. And how, how you, did he get the balls so round? The balls are so round. This is like and the why don't the balls are a little bit little bit odd. They're off, but that actually makes it a little bit more human. Like one ball is a little higher than the other. But like the the geometry of this dick is as a mower, not as a human being, as a person who can mow. How could you possibly see what you're doing? I think it's got a little bit of a pee hole too. You got a pee hole. It got a hundred percent pee hole. I'm, I'm what I couldn't understand. Number one, this is unbelievable. Anybody would be like, aliens. I'm going to draw a big erect dick pointing at the fucking where the fucking <laughs> coronation party is. This is a big dick. It's a huge dick. I want to know the mechanics of how they did it so perfectly well. It, it looks like it was like a one shot deal. Obviously, you you could start at one ball go all the way around and then up the shaft and then around, but you still have to come back to, to kind of do the head and then do the D, the pee hole. You know, it's got to be, a, you know, how did Beethoven play the piano? <laughs> how did Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel? You know, some people are just born with a gift, Jeff. Uh, You're right. <laughs> How did Michelangelo paint the? How did he? I mean, this you guy know, was. I mean, how do you know how to do something? This is like virtuoso mowing. I mean, there is, there is no. This is impressive. Oh that, wait, the, in the one worst, of these pictures I'm looking at, there is a person stand. Like you can see them standing by this. Like that is a big old dick. It's a huge. A he, this is a giant undertaking because you think about think about let's just say what a, what a riding motor how big the deck would be i mean the deck would be like three foot four foot i yeah right but you think they can sneak a riding mower in or did they have like a push mower out of, out of the back of the pickup and go do it real quick and then or did they, you, think <laughs> they, you think there's a pickup? You think there's a fucking a couple dudes in a pickup truck and a fucking John Deere riding mower and they're you pushing think out? They just got on their Husqvarna mower and rode it from their house. <laughs> Go get that dick! Got to draw on that dick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you, I mean, what are your options? You either got a pickup with a trailer for a riding mower, right? A pickup with a push mower, or they just rode it around town for a little while till they got there. And there has to be practice. Like this is not the first time they've done this dick. Well, I've been I've been drawing dicks forever, but I, still I know with a mower do one quite that nice. Not with that one that big. I mean, unless with a well, yeah. But I mean, this is a one shot. I guess we'll find out in I guess probably maybe September because for years we've got a couple of wheat fields that I plant every fall around here, and I've been for years planning on plowing in a dick <laughs> in this twenty three acre pasture. <laughs> So then it, I, you know, ideally Google maps will take a picture then and there will be a dick in the field. Unbelievable. And so I will see if I can do it as good, but I don't think I can do it as good as that. I don't think my shaft is probably not going to be as straight. 
Right. Well, that's the issue. The issue is that this, the, the execution of this dick is, it's not about the penis. It's about the execution of what the, I mean, you know what it is. The fact that they were able to do a line drawing with a mower that was very clear. This is not, this is not maybe it looks like a penis. This is a dick and balls. It's I'm unbelievable. I'm more impressed with the radii of the head and the balls than anything else. This is a mowing experience. This is this is mowing virtue. This is a mowing virtuoso. It is. To makes me almost wonder if it was a guy with like a torch, like a like a roofer's torch, and he's burned it in. Because how do they do those like uh, you know those those uh, those crop circles and all that shit? You There's know, crop bo- circles are done with. They get a board, and they step, and they have ropes tied to the board that they hold with their hand, and then they step on that board to lay the crop circles over. Really? Or, or maybe aliens. Aliens. You, you, you but know I watched a show on a making crop circles one time, and that's how they do it. And they they step that board, and it just keeps folding the grass down. Okay. But that this makes is, a lot. Of- I, like it, this is either burned, like you said, or it, it's got to be mowed. And they scout the shit out of it too. <laughs> they, you mean you mean to tell me that they dropped the deck as low as possible? I had to have been. Look at how much browner it is. They fucked the grass up so bad. Oh, it's yeah. more than just a mowing. They, I, it's almost like they took some shovels and then they just took out all the turf where the dick is. Now, if they really <laughs> wanted to be dicks. Or assholes. <laughs> Whatever you want to say. <laughs> then you just get a sprayer of Roundup and ju- just walk it and spray it. And so then it's dead all year. This is so... Everything about this is so well planned that you just kind of want to know what they did. You know that there's some, like, makery stuff. Like, what are your tips and tricks for mowing in a giant penis into a lawn? Like, I'd like to know... <laughs> I want to know... I want to know the trips and tricks and tips to figure out because nobody saw them. Like if you do it in the middle of the night, you're going to hear Nobody's the lawnmower. Nobody's going to say that they saw them. They're just going to silently cheer. But I mean, if you don't, or maybe you, cheer out loud. I don't know. But if you if it's done in the middle of the night, you're going to hear the lawnmower. No one's going to say anything. The whole the whole well, thing is. Look at how many I mean, electric a, mowers they make now, though. Oh yeah, yeah. Battery yeah. powered mowers got to be quiet. This is. I mean, the whole thing is like it's like a cat burglar. It's like a cat burglar. It's like everybody woke up and all of a sudden the jewels are gone. I wonder what old Charlie thought of that. Oh, you gotta know he was just he was just livid because you know. Oh my god. Okay, and what about? I bet old Harry was pretty pumped. Or oh, Meghan Markle. My, my big old. This is my big day after all these years. My my mother is finally gone, and the now I'm an old man. I'm gonna be king. It is my time. And then somebody broke the news to him. It's either one of his dudes broke the news to him, or he let the paper. See, what do you do now? So, let's you're working for the king. Do you tell him, or do you let him find out? And then they all, your whole staff already knew. Who's in more trouble? I mean, this fucking guy. You see these videos of him getting mad about a pen not working. Can you imagine if you, the, the, the the guy who says, "Oh, by the way, your highness." Somebody draw a fucking dong in your lawn. There's a giant cock in the grass in the yard. Oh, (laughs) jolly good, sir. Good morning, your (laughs) highness. There's a big penis mowed into the front lawn. Malige. Malige, we don't know how it happened. A humongous phallus that the the peasants... (laughs) 
Good morning, have, have Your Highness. Mowed into thine grass. Oh, they did such a good job. And then he's like, "Well, you got to fix it. Well, how do you fix it? We got to get the go to the fucking royal hardware store and get some fucking green paint. I don't know what the fuck you do." <laughs> I mean, can you now imagine? Time for some spray paint. Can you imagine the over? Like, we're gonna have this, Your Highness. We're gonna have this helicopter's gonna come up. We're gonna do this whole big video, the coronation, and the helicopter's gonna go up. You gotta change the flight path of the helicopter. They can't go over the front lawn. Why not? Well, there's a giant penis mowed into the lawn, and we can't have the fucking. We can't have that in it. Oh, I love everything about it. I like the idea of his footman saying more like, "Oh, nobody's gonna notice it." <laughs> Who it. tells him? The Is anybody going to see it? No, they're not going to see it. It's fine. We don't have to tell him. Oh, there's then there's going to be no one, one do-gooder is going to walk in. The one footman's going to come in. He says, "I will be the. I serve my king, and I, I will be the one to tell him, your sir. Good morning, sir. Here's your tea, and here's what's happening today. I just want you to know we've had quite a a problem. A quite a problem happened. <laughs> oh yes, you, what kind of problem? We don't have a. We don't have time for problems. I'm going to be king tomorrow. What's the problem? Somebody, some rascal, <laughs> mowed a fucking dick in the front lawn, <laughs> and it looks great." <laughs> well, and, and, and the Texas version of that, it wouldn't be like, oh my God, some, somebody just walked, do you guys see that size of that dick? Do y'all see how big that dick is out there? got to be a 30-yard dick. <laughs> that has got to be for such an oh, event. I mean, size if, of a swimming pool. <laughs> did you see the event at all? The, the one part was is he's no, in this. No, I absolutely did not give Me neither. I, I did could see not a, have given two shits less. I did a see a picture. I did a see a picture. Where he's in that fucking golden pumpkin getting carted around the street and they fill the potholes up with sand because they I don't have enough that. money. They don't have enough money to fix the potholes, but they have enough money to drag this dickhead through the streets. I win a fucking golden chariot. Meanwhile, everyone's losing, you know, everyone's losing money left and right. And they must fill the holes with them. Can you imagine they fill the potholes with sand? What do they do to that big mowed penis? Unbelievable. He does well, kind of look do like a dick with ears. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. Have you heard of this YouTuber who admitted to uh, intentionally crashing an airplane for clicks? I saw... I just saw something, a mention of that, and I've not gone further than that. I did not research. I just know he crashed a plane to cause drama. We'll go quick. Can a California uh, YouTuber could be facing serious jail time after revealing that he orchestrated a plane crash in an alleged attempt to garner views for his channel. Trevor Jacob, 29-year-old pilot and skydiver, copped to his unorthodox flight plan as part of a recent plea deal. He confessed that he intended to make money from the crash as part of a sponsorship deal for the promotion company of a wallet, a company's wallet on his channel, according to U.S. Attorney General. He, so basically, he gets in this little two-seater, flies off, and then jumps out and basically flies, jumps out and lets it fly off and crash. And he agreed to, uh, he's pled guilty to one felony count of destruction and concealment with the goal of obstructing a federal investigation. Charges could land him 20 years in prison. It's a creepy fucking video. I don't know if you saw the video, but the pictures, uh -oh. it's really creepy because he's, he's clearly getting out of the plane. And the fact that he turned the plane, turns the plane off and then he kind of crawls out and then he just jumps out. The fact that he left this airplane to crash 
and you don't know who's underneath it. Obviously, he's in an area where it's very. And he left it. He left a he camera on the nobody's wing. Nobody's down there. Well, he's got cameras all over the plane, so the plane is just careening. And then he flies out of the. He takes. He he, he takes a. He goes out of the. Uh, he jumps out of the airplane, and he's watching the plane just like the the ghost plane just fly off. And the, all the cameras are the cameras are uh, are just on the wing, and they're watching him crash. And there, you can watch the whole thing go. It's really gross. I mean, it's really like oh, and then it just crashes, and it's just like. And he's doing this for a wallet company, right? Right. How much right. money can a wallet company really afford to pay you? It, the, I'm amazed. I'm I'm still amazed. You know, it's, it's interesting. Is I was actually watching. Uh, there What's was this, the plane cost. I, I mean, obviously, I it's, it, it's a small plane, but I, it's I, I don't understand. I mean, this is one of the interesting things in terms of like YouTube and, and Instagram and followers and, and, and like, obviously, this probably helped, you know, even being arrested and all this stuff probably helped his like profile. Like he's like now he's kind of like a upper tier rascal or something like that. Yeah. I mean, if he had <laughs> if if he had copped to mowing the fucking dick in the lawn and that's the dude. That's our guy. Like that's yeah. the real guy. That's, that's the, the that's the hero. That gets wallet money. That's the guy who probably gets like he gets like in the Congress. You know, that's a guy who like becomes like a real dude. What's the worst thing you've ever done? You ever smoke weed? No, I did mow a giant penis in the front of the fucking coronation spot. Yeah, I'm voting for you, dude. Um, do you kind? Do you sort of hope? I mean, I, I guess obviously yes. Like, wouldn't you like to think that the guy that mowed the dick is an American? Well, it is an uncircumcised penis. But <laughs> it's like I don't know. I don't know the whole. I don't know how the the mechanics of the uncircumcised dick works. And to the listeners, don't fucking tell me. I'm not interested. I don't want to hear from you and your penises. But like, I guess when it's erect, it's no longer <laughs> circumcised. It's kind of circumcised. I don't know. I don't know how you fucking guys deal with the fucking all that shit and your dicks and stuff like that. But like, you would think. I mean. I guess we're at a standstill in regards to his ethnicity. I mean, I want to know if he, if he's an American, he's our guy, right? Oh yeah, he's Even our if guy. He's, not if he's American, American. We'll adopt him. He, this dude, amnesty anywhere in the world. I mean, like, if I found out I was at a restaurant and that, oh, hey, gee, that's the guy who bought the, that's the guy who mowed the big dick in the. I'm buying him. I'm, I'm going to the waiter and says, I want his bill. I'm pay his I'm pay his dinner tab tonight. I sell that guy dividers for fifty bucks. Oh, 50 bucks. He yeah, he's got my, he, look at how good looking my wife is. Oh, dude, the Bob Kramer effect is in full effect yeah. for this dude. This dude is getting yeah. anything he wants. He's got the Bob Kramer effect all day, all night. All day. All oh night. God, can you imagine? And then you and then when do you when do you start telling people? Because you know that you know that uh how you know you that the jig is up for him. immediately. He's gonna get he's gonna get in trouble. I mean Right, that's uh, a that's a that's is it a, really some, like is it really destruction of property? Well, I mean, what what would it, what would it be? Vandalism. That's a big secret to keep. And like, I know. Do you think he had a crew of guys like with the radius of the balls? Like you sort right. of assume you had to have somebody standing there in the middle with a string attached to your mower, yeah, where you can make that radius real nice. So you kind of think you've got to have a crew. That, you're right. And he got, he's a, got a guy with a rope, and then all he has to do is he's got like if it's a if it's a six foot ball, he's the guy stands oh, in the middle with three feet. Six foot nut. Oh, you think it's like a ten foot ball? Uh, ten or twelve. Yeah. That's all right. A big let's old, just that's go big with old testy. Let's go with ten foot testicle. So the guy's got a five foot rope, 
and he's standing in the middle, and then the guy with the mower is holding on to the rope while he's doing that turn, and yep. then the guy immediately knows, okay, now you're gonna take a, you're gonna make a, what is that? A let's just say it's a uh, 120 degree turn straight up, and then that dude in the middle who was holding the ball string. He got to run over the other side, and maybe he's holding the same fucking rope. That's what he's oh, doing. You, he's you holding mo- the same yeah, goddamn you mo- rope up one side. He's and, holding and then the rope. You do the radius, and then he walks down the other side to keep the rope tight. You got a parallel shaft. This is we've CSI this thing a hundred and fifty percent. It's I'll two guys, a call one mower, MI six before long, and a rope. And then uh-huh. the rope guy, because it's all I, I feel as though. I'm going to bring it back to Knife Talk. I feel like we got the golden ratio thing going on with this thing. I think you got the Fibonacci sequence going. Like the shaft is the right size. Everything. I think the guy's using like the golden the golden mean. He's using the Fibonacci sequence. I mean, it's the, two the dudes. Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci of, of dick drawing. A hundred percent. Back to him. I mean, I mean, you know what? I hate to fucking stop on something like that. It's too good. Um, I give, let's, I, you know what I always do when we do these things? I always don't know when to end. Like, I always think, let's push it one more. You tell me. Right, it's we, up to you. All right. Well, I'm going to read you off a couple and then you decide. All right. All right. We have, um, this was sent to me a lot. WWE legend Andre the Giant left fellow plane passengers gagging after taking the world's biggest poo. <laughs> that was one. We have Spanish athletes. Who gives a shit about the Spanish athletes spending 500 days alone in the cave? Who gives a shit about that? We just we've, we've uncovered how the guy made the big penis. We don't care about her. Um, we have um, Tiger King announces U.S. presidency run from behind bars. Florida, you know, Man- the, the fucking Tiger King. Go ahead. That whole thing. And I saw something, like, he popped up the other day, and it's just, how is that whole story even real? It's all... Truth is stranger than fiction. It is just unbelievable. But if there was no pandemic, there is no Tiger King. But there was a Tiger King. The fact that it actually happened. But the popularity... Everybody knows about it because of the pandemic. Pandemic... the fact that all that shit happened... Yeah. It's just unbelievable. I really didn't want to watch it. And then, it, you know, that whole, when the whole thing came, the beginning of the time, you know, it was like the first thing to come out in the middle of the, pan, in the beginning of the panty. I just was like, this is, I watched and I was just like, this is some fucking low rent bullshit. This is not a fucking, who gives a shit? These are some Maury Povich, and you Jerry, Jerry, uh, what's his name? Who just Jerry passed Springer. away? Jerry Springer, RIP. Some Jerry Ricky Springer Lake. bullshit. Ricky Lake bullshit. I don't know how it got to be the point, but he this motherfucker wants to wants to he's announcing uh, his U.S. presidency from behind bars. I, this isn't the first time he's run from president. President no. though, is it? No, 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 no. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he does not get elected. <sighs> Joe Exotic, Joseph Maldonado passage. I'd, I'd go so far as to put money on it. Well, he's serving 21-year federal sentence. I mean, it's hard to run for president and serve time at the same time. Well, he's ambitious. He is ambitious. All right, look, you got some press. God bless him. You got some press. Um, uh, 
what do we got here? We got Florida man uh, charged with disorderly intoxication after allegedly shoveling spaghetti into his face and threatening employees. Florida store owner ban- Florida store owner bans customers from heating bag urine in a microwave. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know a little bit about that. <laughs> this, is, this is a good one. I, that one caught my interest too. A Jackson, and let, listen, ladies and germs. I know this. You think this is knife talk, but this is like now we've kind of switched into the full blast podcast. So if you listen to full blast podcast, what happens is I usually like have some guests here and there, and then we'll do weird news, and it's usually all. Listen, I mean, we've said penis more times on this episode than I think we've ever had on the whole podcast. And it's just, it's, this is the emergency backup show, guys. This is what happens. And when the technical issues happen. I mean, you let the guy fucking, let the criminals around with the, you know, with the, whatchamacallit, run the thing. All right. So there's a Jacksonville, Florida store. Close prox, it's a pr- close proximity to drug testing centers, resulting in the owner of the Jacksonville store banning customers from using the microwave to warm urine in bags or containers. Parul Patel, owner of the On The Fly, On The Fly convenience store. That is hilarious. On The Fly convenience store. And the corner of Phillips Highway and Shad Road told the First Coast News, we got sick and tired of people bringing in their urine containers. They just, they're just random people walking in and it's happening every day. So I guess... What's what's happening is people are dr- people are being drug tested, and they're getting urine from other people, and they're just kind of warming it up in the microwave. Because if you get drug tested, I think they can tell if it's warm or not. Well, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, sir, your piss is boiling. Yes, and you know the sorry. smell. I mean, you know, I've got a fever. Sorry. So the average the average urination is like. Cup and a half, two cups, not a two know. cups. I mean, I, don't, I mean, I, so how much are you putting in, and then what's your to get lukewarm? I mean, how much if you get your coffee? If you want to get your coffee from ice cold to lukewarm, what do you do in a minute? Oh, I'm not microwaving coffee. I'm brewing new coffee. Okay, what, you never microwave? microwave co- no, microwave coffee is like I'm the pickiest, shitty coffee drinker that there is. Really. Yeah, I only like shitty coffee, which is Folgers. <laughs> but I will not drink it if it's more than like 35 minutes old. Wow. You never microwave it? Never. Hmm. No. You ever microwave any beverage? I don't know what uh, beverage you drink. I, actually, I microwave, I've been microwaving water a lot. And for- so we'll say for... I'd say piss temp water like 16 <laughs> ounces of piss temp water which is 90 degrees about, 80 degrees something like that well 98.6 degrees 98.6 degrees uh about two minutes and 15 seconds for but how much volume 16 ounces see i think that's going to be too hot because i can put a cup of coffee like i don't i only drink now i'm only down to three quarters of a cup a fucking day it's just like brutal and i and i when it, as soon as the coffee gets cold enough that i can chug it's down the hatch i never oh, keep yeah. sipping no. i never keep sipping coffee as soon as it gets past the point of i can just down the hatch it's down the hatch 100% i get my fresh coffee and i put two ice cubes in it and then like i want to guzzle my coffee right yeah, I want it in my system as fast as possible. Like I'm not gonna draw this process out and drink shitty microwave bitty, bitter coffee. I'm thinking. I want to get it in 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 the bloodstream. 
If you had to be drug tested and you were to bring in urine, if you were to bring in urine, I have a story about that, by the way. My urine or someone else's urine? Well, here's the thing. Usually it's somebody else's urine. I mean, these guys aren't bringing in their own urine. I mean, why just... They're oh, no, getting someone I mean, else. You're saying if I'm going to be drug tested. Well, I have a friend. Well, no, I don't have a friend. When we lived in this apartment building in this other place years ago before our daughter was born, there was someone who was in the medical business and she was getting drug tested. She was going to get drug tested. So she asked all the women in the apartment if they would urinate for them in a bag that she could use as whatchamacallit. And asking my wife was a giant mistake. My wife was like, you don't talk to me ever again. <laughs> I mean, there is no, there is in no world would I ever do this. In no vicinity would I ever have you over and how dare you ask me to do that. And she's in the medical field too. So she was like, you asked the wrong person. Not to the point where Hillary was going to be like, I'm calling your fucking boss. Yeah, and, but like, you know. But at the same time, it's like, I'm no rat. I take, I take pride in what I do, and I don't do drugs, and you shouldn't do drugs either. You, 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 shouldn't, you should know better than to ask me something like that. Yeah. They ended up, the woman ended up asking an older Japanese woman. And she felt the older Japanese woman was very nice, very thoughtful, didn't want to offend anyone, so she did it for her. And all I could think of is, I mean, there was like a 20-year difference in these women, you know. And all I could think of is, what are they going to tell her? What are they going to tell her? We drug tested you. By the way, how's menopause working out? Yeah, <laughs> you're like, 25 years old and you're going through menopause. Yeah. How, 25, like, are we going to have to deal with hot flashes? Whoa, 25 years old. You're, you're going downhill very fast. What's going? But it was weird because she felt very, she felt like the pressure of having to do it. And she didn't want to do it. But I'm wondering, like... Could you just I, hold it in your mouth and it be the right temperature? <laughs> I'm wondering that, too. <laughs> I just... I, I don't know. There has to be, like, a guideline. Because, I mean, when I was a kid, and I told my mom I was sick, and I wasn't really sick, she said, well, let me get you some tea, and I'll give you the thermometer. And I took the thermometer, and I put it in my mouth, and as soon as she walked out of the room, I stuck the thermometer out of my mouth, and I put it in the tea cup thinking that that was going to make me a fever. Well, yep. made me a fever, all right. All you're, of a sudden, I have 123 degrees. Yeah, you have, Jeff, you feeling okay? You have 123 degree fever. So, like, there's got to be a real good ratio if you're getting drug tested. It's got to be on the money. And every microwave's different. So, I'm wondering I, I, if you're you know, turning you gotta it. you got to assume it's got to be, like, 98.6 to right. maybe 90 degrees is your window to hand it to them. Because you're also going to have, depending on how long it takes you to get from the microwave to yeah. the drug testing facility, there's going to be some like, you know, heat <laughs> heat sink. There's going to be some quenching. There's going to be, you know, it's going to lose that heat. So then what, you got you got to overshoot, right? And you got to assume also that they got you got to keep the bag of piss in your pants with your dick. Or yeah, that's right. Your vagine as well, whatever. Right. Yeah, of course. And so then you you know you're leaving the store with your 130 degree bag of piss right. against your dick, right? Walking in there hoping it cools off to a, a nice 98.6. And then what are you holding it in? A Ziploc bag? And then how are you releasing it? Because like all of a sudden, I think you'd need like a camel bag, you know, like a camel bag. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, but but how do you how do you store that? What do you? I mean, where do you, you just dude, this walk is, in? 
like act like you're taking a drink out of your camelback and just say i wanted to be hydrated for my piss test this is this is these see people are there are people listening to this podcast being like i don't know why they should never let him on there craig and Mareko. these are the real issues that reporters need to be asking like how the fuck did this shit happen not just the penis in the lawn but like do you over, do you, you would have to i would imagine so you have to figure out how you're going to release the urine you're also going to have to feel out figure out how you're going to heat the urine you're also you're going to also have to figure gonna out, have to make it sound like a realistic piss because right. i assume somebody's in there with you right you can't just dump it out yeah like a fucking, dumping out of a fucking and then hole. if you got any extra piss after you filled up the cup you got to take your piss with you right it's got to be because of a, 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 a stream of urine sounds very specific very specific oh yeah so you have to make sure you have the temperature right you have to carry you have to find the critical temperature of urine so it gets to the point where you can get to the to the testing facility what if you're waiting online it gets cold maybe if you're holding it against your body that's the that's the, yeah it's I think holding if you're it. holding it against your body you know it would still be a little cool though all right it's all i see this, this story hasn't i need more I need more. Inter- That's the stuff I need to know. I need to know how they did it, how you go about it, and then is there a website to tell you how to do it and oh, how I much time you, you have? There, like you could go to Reddit and figure out how do how do I store my piss correctly? Right. Well, see, knife talk. We tell people exactly how to do things. You go to Laren Thomas's book, Knife Engineering. He's going to tell you exactly how to do these things. But the rest of the world, they're very, you know mamby pamby on the way things are done we're we we as makers need to know the intro you know the all the different ways in which you because you got to do it right the first time the guy who mowed the dick in the lawn got to do it right the first time the guy who's getting drug tested his 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 livelihoods on the line got to do it right the first time this is all very very important execution that the maker community i'm going to tell you how i would do it go ahead all right so there, ha- there are some like water bottles, and they've got a little pump on the top, right? And it's a little mister thing, so right. you can like be in hot weather, and you have to pump it up, and it sprays a little mist on you, right? So what I would do is I would have one of those. I would have it in my boot. Okay. I would have it pumped up with a hose instead of a little mister nozzle. I would then have a hose running up alongside shaft, right? To where I could pull shaft out, right? And it's just a tube. Hit the little nozzle. And then ideally have the correct piss sound because, as you said, it is a very distinct sound. Right. Shut it off. Away I go. Back to new drugs. <laughs> kind of like one of those uh, those keg, those little like party keg balls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's your move. But then right, also you have that's to That's how able, I do it. But you also have to, when you're microwaving it, there can't be any like springs or things in there. Because all of a sudden, uh, you, you, you know, you don't microwave with the lid on. I mean, come on, Jeff. What if it exploded in the microwave? Well, what if it starts burning in the microwave? And then the well, and that's what I wondered about the guy that had to shut it down. Like, how many containers or bags melted and piss just got all over the microwave and the floor? I would think that you and I are highly more experienced in the how to go from a to b i think that people who are warming up their urine probably had like a fucking quart container from the chinese food restaurant i don't know <laughs> man some of those methods are some fucking ambitious dudes i don't think that they i don't i don't they're believe, not smart but they are ambitious they are ambitious creative. i don't i don't i i 
the takeaway is, guys, you got to like think things through. You, we need to think things through. You have to be like, be like the mower. Be like the mower. Don't be like the guy who shuts the, the your, don't be like the guy who ruins it for everybody. All the other drug addicts are trying to make it happen. You, that guy ruined it for these people. The mower out like a, I mean, like a phantom, like Zorro, like nobody knows. He's the hero of heroes. He got in, got out. Nobody knows how to do it. I think we do. I think we have the best idea of how he did it. He is the champion. He's the hero. He's the hero. And not to mention the real hero, Ben Snoor. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Snoor is the emergency, the emergency backup, the guy who you can count on all the time. I want you to go follow. You're already listening to Ben. You all know Ben Snoor, so go follow Ben Snoor on Instagram. That's Ben Snoor on Instagram. Go to Wellshod and go buy your go buy hammers from for him from him. It's definitely worth it. I have a couple of his hammers. I love his hammers. Ben, you are a champion. Thank you so much. It. Thanks for having me. Oh, all the time. Now, guys, I'm hoping, 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 fingers crossed, last week's episode, we're hoping that Craig stitched it together. Um, it was with me and Mareko. It was really, really good. It was cut short from technical errors. Hopefully that happens, but I want to thank our listeners. Thank you, Craig, for taking care of all this. Thank you, Ben, and uh, we'll see you next week, guys. All right. Thank you so much, Ben. You bet. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.